Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Boomer. I'm just excited this NCAA season to see the good players at uh, North Carolina actually be able to spend some time focusing on their academics and finishing strong this semester. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. And uh, welcome back, Mac. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, I'm just going to take my cues from Mr. McVeigh. I've had enough of Husker basketball. I'm leaving. <laughs> Fandom over. Uh, uh, well, that's too bad. Man. It, it was it was fun while it lasted, though, Mac. And also very uh, brief. <laughs> very brief. And very similar ending to the previous ones. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, this is Honky, and uh, if you're a regular, I'm I'm not Dave. Uh, our, our leader, is he's back home right now with his family, and our, our thoughts and prayers are with him. But I am with my partners here, Boomer and Mac, and uh, we've got a lot, a lot to go over tonight uh, since uh, we met last. Uh, uh, Miles and company, they went down to Stark Vegas and went one and out in the uh, NIT, and Coach Frost uh, had his first practice of, of the spring with the, the football team. So we've got a lot to go over here, and we'll get to that and a lot more on the rest of the Redcast. Nebraska ball. And uh, we're going to be talking a little Nebraska ball here. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, we did go one and, one and out in the NIT, went down to Mississippi State, and uh, they got beat on Wednesday night. So that's the, the end of the season here. Kind of an unfortunate uh, ending considering that we had the 22 wins overall, which is – I think second most in program history and the 13 wins in the conference. So there's a lot of good things, but it still just kind of feels a little, little hollow how the, how the season ended. Boomer, uh, what were your thoughts, I guess, as you're watching the game on Wednesday and now that you've had a couple of days to reflect and think back on the, the season that was? Well, you know, the game itself was just kind of a microcosm of when things don't go right for Nebraska, how they tend to lose games. Just got you know crushed, uh, you know inside the paint and on the on the on the boards. I mean, I think Mississippi State had something like 17 more rebounds than we did, and just an ungodly amount of points in the paint. And then for us, the three points weren't falling, and we just seemed to kind of slide into just kind of some confused perimeter type offense for most of the game, and it just wasn't falling, and there just wasn't an answer for it. You know, Jordy didn't have a very strong game, and. Yeah, the problem with the NIT is you always wonder what the motivation is going to be for teams. It's you're coming down off that potential, you know, NCAA tournament high, and then that gets smacked down, and then you end up going on the road in two days, basically, and having to deal with the new rules that were in place for the NIT. It, it seemed to me most teams had trouble with the three point arc being moved back to the international range. I mean, nobody shot three pointers particularly well in most of the NIT games I watched, so that was a challenge. It just wasn't a wasn't a recipe for a successful ending to the Husker Husker season that we had so far. Yeah, that, it was an interesting, you know, set of rules. I guess that were different. Like they moved the three point line back. They went with the the four quarters. I, what did they uh, they widened the key? I think. Uh, yep. So it was just slight variations of it, but you know that just kind of it goes back to the the concept of, and I said this last week. I don't really feel like the NIT was going to be a real big difference maker for me on how I felt the season went you know I if we played poorly in the game it's it's the NIT like it's just not something that that got me up and motivated for it to be honest with you and for whatever it's worth Mississippi State did go ahead and beat uh, Baylor I think I saw today on the road so they're on to whatever the the uh, round of eight or whatever that now in the NIT but but uh, it, it was disappointing so now we, we transition out of the season into the off season, and I guess with that, uh, last night uh, the news came out that Jack McVeigh he'll be uh, transferring out, and I believe he's going back to Australia, going to try some some pro basketball, if I was reading that correctly. And so, um, I guess first off, what do you think his shots are there, and, and is that making the right move, Boomer? Well, you know, first off, from the Nebraska perspective, I think uh, that not an unexpected uh, departure. Uh, you know, his role had been pretty much reduced to nothing this year. He, uh, he rarely saw the court, didn't play a whole lot. He kept a good attitude about it all, so I will give him a lot of credit for that. You know, seemed to really support the team, even on the bench, most of it. 
And he probably wasn't going to have any role next year either, so this probably is the best choice for him to, to make a switch to some uh, some other type of ball. I don't know much about Australian pro ball, so I don't know what his chances are there. Unfortunately, I don't follow that as closely as I used to, so we'll just have to kind of <laughs> let that slide, that analysis slide for tonight. Uh, do we but, have a strong alumni base, though, for Australian basketball players? Well, we probably do, actually, so maybe this is his ticket in. So right. it could be, yeah. Webster was New Zealand, and, of course, Marge, so... Yeah, yeah we we've, we've potato, some... potato, New Zealand, Australia. <laughs> yeah, I really know. They hate it when you say that. <laughs> no. Well, well we, I mean, we don't mean to offend our listeners down in uh, you know Wellington or Brisbane or anything like that. So sorry, it's uh, it's all in good fun. Have yeah, a we have my sandwich on us. We have <laughs> we have a big following down there. I know. Um, I think the big thing that we talked about here for the last couple of weeks is we we're expecting the McVeigh transfer. We really were, but it's trying to hope that the rest of the team stays intact. And that's a big part of what I'll call the one-year plan. And what we've learned here in the last couple of days is Miles will be sitting down with uh, Athletic Director Moose here in the next couple of days to go over a five-year plan. And I guess I really kind of want to get both of your guys' thoughts on that. Is, is I mean, where do you see the, the program headed? Do you, is this an upward trajectory? Was this a one-year and, and, and kind of done kind of thing? Is the Big Ten – was this just a down year, and that's why we had that success? I mean, where do you where do you guys feel that we're we're at right now, comparatively speaking? And and if you were kind of in, in Moose's shoes a little bit, I mean, what are the things you'd be looking for? Not necessarily is is Miles going to be here or not? I, we don't need to get deep into that, but just what are the things you would be looking for as the AD, as the head coach, Boomer? I'll start with you. Uh, the first thing, you've just got to have more stability in the off season. I mean, it seems every year under Miles. He's lost key players, and that's been the just his big downfall, just good player after good player leaving, people that were going to be the key to maintaining any kind of success the next season or even building on, you know, just an average or under-average season. You know, and This is his sixth year, and you'd question whether if it kind of keeps maintaining like this, if he would be there for an entire five-year plan. I think probably a one-year plan is probably the – appropriate way to talk about it yeah you know, i'm not saying fire the guy or do anything right now but i think next year is probably the critical year for miles um yeah. you know we won 22 games and like a lot of people said the big 10 was down this year and the schedule did kind of pan out sort of in our favor we didn't get the heavyweights twice um which we could have easily lost to all of them you know another time too which would have you know pushed us mm-hmm. down and minnesota and wisconsin probably aren't always going to be as just you know, in dishevels as they were. So I think next year is probably the the make or break season for Miles. There, he's got he's got to try to return everybody. He's got uh, new players coming in, and some of them should be able to contribute right away. So I think this is going to be this is probably it. I would think. Mm-hmm. Well, through six years, Miles is a a five hundred record nine ninety seven and ninety seven, and and to kind of put things a little bit in perspective, there Riley after three years here was nineteen and nineteen and there's different standards and it's not apples and to apples by any means, but just to kind of put things in perspective. And I do agree with you, Boomer there. I think next year becomes a very crucial year for him. Uh, Mac, what are, where are you kind of looking at? If you're looking ahead one year and then you're looking ahead five years, I mean, what are, what, what would be your vision, I guess, of the program? Your, whether you're miles or moose in that, in that conversation. That's a good question. I, I think one of the things that concerns me the most about Miles, you know, the record is what it is, about 500 exactly for his career. That's about what it's felt like. You know, he's kind of had like a Pelini-like career where he sort of teases you with getting to some games, but we don't really win too many important ones. But it's not as embarrassing as it used to be. I don't know, but you're right. The standard's a little bit different. What I would like to see from this team consistently, though, is just a little bit better roster management. It seems like uh, this year was was good. We had a, We had a nice, talented mix now. Can we hold on to guys like that? Or can we get to a point where we can start changing some guys like that? And I don't care if it's through the JUCO ranks or at, like recruiting itself, but that to me is the only way we're going to ever build this program. We've got to maintain some roster stability because we don't recruit on a high enough mm-hmm. level to turn in those, those you know, to absorb a one-and-done kind of guy. You know, so that, that to me with Nebraska is its biggest problem. It's like, what, how are we going to make our niche in, in, in college basketball? You know, it, we have amazing facilities, you know, and I think our fan base is still one way that we could really kind of exploit uh, what a basketball school this could be. But, man, we've got to get over the hump and show that to some players around the country. Otherwise, I don't know. It's not going to change. 
Yeah, we had top 20 attendance again in the country uh, right. for the men's basketball People are ready to yep. be huge supporters of them, you know. And it's yep, a fun place. Everybody always comments on what a fun place it is to you know, go to PBA and watch a game. It would have been fun yeah. to have some of the, the best teams on the schedule, the Purdue's yeah. and the Michigan State's and Ohio State's. It would have been great to have at least one of them go to PBA because I think it would have been a probably a different outcome. One thing I don't – season out. I mean, maybe either of you guys would know better than – I don't know what Moose's uh, inclination is with basketball. You know, I don't know what his threshold is for success. You know, if he'll if he'll allow this to ride out because traditionally we haven't been very good, or if this is you know because football could take off or it's seemingly in in, in good hands. You know, it's about as good in hands as he could do it. So he could probably just back off. So with that, does he focus more on basketball now, or does he kind of let that play out a little bit too? I mean, what what roles could he have in any way? You know. Mm. Well, I think I think the point of of the roster management is really important. And overall, I would say over the last five six years with Miles, I've been really impressed with the recruiting. And he's brought in guys through a number of different routes. He's done well out of the high school ranks. He's brought in you know four star type kids with Watson and Morrow and Roby. And there's been a number of those kids. He's brought in JUCO uh, transfers, but then he's also really hit the graduate uh, transfer mark and just transfers in general. And that's how he's built the team. And I don't really have any issue with how he's done that. The issue, and, and Mac, I think he hit on it really well, has just been once, they, once they're once they here for a year or two, you develop a couple of them, but then we've had too many people transfer out. And I know Dave, if he was on the show right now tonight, he'd be saying that's that's the trend across college basketball. And while I agree, it's also the thing that's really hurt us at times. When we had an Andrew White leave us real late or – Last year, you know, losing Morrow, Morrow could have been a huge player on this year's team. Could have been a nice, you know, uh, addition uh, to what we had up there. But that's just kind of the way it's been. Now, moving forward, I think that that the the four guys, Roby, Palmer, Copeland, and Watson, if we can keep those four guys intact, and that's a big if, but if we could keep those four guys intact, this looks like a top 20 team coming into the season. And uh, just to to give a little bit of a quote here, this is what uh, Miles was talking about, and this is in reference to Palmer, who has put his name into the NBA uh, hat to have it be reviewed by that one selection committee, and uh, they'll get back to him. So he's not committed to the NBA draft, but at least he's he's got his name into it. And Miles said, uh, here's what I would tell you. If there's any guy I know that could be a top 20 pick, I would recommend that he goes to the NBA draft. But if he's outside of that, it's a toss-up, and he probably should stay and have a great college career and keep improving his game because there's nothing like college basketball. It's the greatest experience of your life. So I guess, uh, you know, what Miles, his recommendation to Palmer reading that would be is, you know, if you're not a top 20 pick, you should probably come back. Uh, Boomer, is, is Palmer going to be a top 20 pick? No. No, you can't. I wouldn't foresee him in a top 20 pick. I don't see how you could expect that. I don't think he's quite ready either. I think he could do with uh, another year of seasoning. I mean, he kind of he'd have some odd games, and he kind of got quiet towards the end of the season too. He didn't really finish mm-hmm. on a strong note, so I'm not sure how that would look to you know to scouts in the NBA. I, he could use another solid year, I think, with the if he to show what he could do, start to finish in a season with some team that's had some consistency, has an identity. They they play well together. They know what they want. Got Xavier Johnson coming in who supposed to make a big difference too the way people talk about him mm-hmm. you've got pieces if they stay together and they they mesh that could make everybody look good and that would be a huge boost to his stock too so. yeah that's i think that's a great point and and watson coming back you know watson i think self-admittedly he would say it wasn't his best year and yet we know what we can get out of watson when he's at his best and him being next year a fourth year senior in this offense uh i'm confident he's coming back Roby, I'm, I'm confident Roby's coming back. Copeland becomes the other guy that is a question mark, and he's a question mark not necessarily because he'd, he'd go to the NBA, but because he, I believe he graduates here, mm-hmm. and he graduates you know at the end of the year, so technically you know he'll, he'll already have the degree and, and he could head out. But, again, I would apply the same thing that Miles said there where you know there's nothing like college basketball. It's the greatest experience of your life, and if he can come back and – and have a great college career, great end to it, and keep improving his game, uh, there's a lot of reasons to come back, too. So that's the point. That goes back to what you were saying there at the beginning, Mac, is that it's that roster management 
and this is going to be the trick. This is if I'm Bill Moose and, and if I'm Miles, we're talking about it. It's how can you keep the good things you had from that team this last year intact? Because it was a good enough team that I, I'll be the first to say we – I, I'm not comfortable talking about you know Nebraska basketball letting go of coaches after winning 22 games. I'm just not. I mean that's not that's not the time to do it. Um, but you want to always feel like there's there's that team can make the next step and and the way to make that next step next year is by having the core of that group coming back and getting those younger guys developed, continuing to develop players like Jordy. Um, so it, there's a great core of, of of this team back. I'm really excited by it, but it's just making sure that we don't have kind of a weird off season would be the would be my my biggest fear. And that would kind of be the next step for for uh, Miles too. Let's see that the team come back. We've seen the rebuild thing time after time after time, but like be a better evaluation if we could get some of the core back, some real good players back and then and then make a run from there. And then we won't have any excuses, you know. It's kind of like what we were saying for Riley this year coming in. You've got your quarterback, you know, you've got this defensive guru who's a complete weirdo. Um, let's go ahead and, and let's go ahead and roll the dice. And if Miles lays an egg like like uh, Riley did, then we we get a new coach, and it's high time, you know. A fifty a five hundred record. I, I, Nebraska basketball is an enigma. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we cannot <laughs> find a coach that can get us over this hump. I mean, dress it up. We went to a tournament early on. Blah blah blah. We are five hundred for his seven years here. That's I don't know. To me, that's not getting it yeah. done. I don't care that we're not a, ba- a basketball school. The problem, the problem I see is all these rinky-dink schools making runs all the time. Like we can't get lucky once. I just it blows my mind. <laughs> you would think. So, yeah, I mean, you, you look at schools just nearby. Uh, you've got like K State. Mm-hmm. They can manage in the shadow of Kansas and Wichita State. They can make it to tournaments. Texas Tech. I mean, you and no offense to, to the greater this. Lubbock area. Cause I'm kind of from there, but that's an armpit if you've ever wanted to be in a horrible, horrible part of the country. Uh, and they can compete. It. And we're not even talking about them. You know, the small schools, the Loyola Chicago's. You know, teams like that that can put runs together and. Then it's really depressing to have a 16 seed beat a one seed before we've ever won an NCAA tournament <laughs> game. I mean, when you just consider that, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to say this is a great transition, guys, out of Nebraska basketball and into the the NCAA tournament that that we're just right now. It's Sunday night as we're recording, so we're basically. I think there's only one game left. Is it Xavier and and uh, Florida State? I think is the last game on here, but uh, you know it's the Sweet 16 coming up and. You know, exactly to your point there, Boomer, I've thought about that as you watch certain teams that have moved along. And and you think of schools, Alabama's a football school, but made it to the round of 32. Or you look at A&M right now, and Texas Tech was one of the other schools I had, so you've already mentioned them. But like A&M, there's nothing, there's no reason I think a Husker fan out there, a Nebraska basketball fan, needs to think that we can't match what those teams have done. I, I get the UNC and Duke and Kansas. Not, none of us are trying to have any illusions that, that we'll, we'll match those programs. But we all look at it and go, we can do what A&M does, can't we? I mean, isn't, you know, Clemson? <laughs> you know, Auburn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just all these schools that are, you know, they're clearly not basketball powers. Again, some of them do have at least some population in the area. But again... You know, basketball, you should be able to recruit. You have to recruit nationally. Uh, you know, just find a couple of players. You're not recruiting like an entire, you know, football roster. You're not trying to fill 120 slots or whatever and finding all this talent that you're going to need. You only need a handful of players, and it's just – it amazes me year after year. We just can't seem to just accidentally do it. That's the amazing thing. And, and that's another thing I can say to all the, the Palmers and Copelands and everybody else that – Hey, if you want the opportunity to have a statue of you guys built at any any program you're ever a part of, you just have to stay here and win one NCAA tournament game, and you will be the greatest team our university has had since the Ewell Jumbo Steam era. And that's you know that's you know that's saying a lot. So uh, that's that's absolutely true, Brimmer. Um We can, I guess, now that we're through the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, we we can maybe uh, for all those Jaskers out there, Creighton did uh, lose to Kansas State and blow its opportunity to play a 16 seed in the second round. And uh, so that's, I guess that's something that we can we can take a little enjoyment in. And now that uh, Kansas State beat that 16 seed, uh, Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, now Kansas State's going to play Kentucky. And Kentucky has already had an interesting route. We were talking about this uh, in their bracket. They beat 
uh, 12 seed Davidson. Then because Buffalo upset Arizona, Kentucky just beat 13 seed uh, Arizona. Now they play number nine seed Kansas State instead of Virginia. And uh, if they get through all that, they're going to play the winner of Nevada against Loyola Chicago uh, for the opportunity to get to the uh, Final Four. So this is... (laughs) Kentucky yeah, and, and has Calipari basically spent most of Sunday night complaining about his bracket and about how difficult it was and how unfair it was to Kentucky. And <laughs> look at this. Here you go. Uh, Unreal. I, I don't care for Kentucky either. Yeah. Boomer, have you been doing any kind of, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the conference breakdown on the way into the NCAA tournament during the selection stuff. Have you kind of been looking at, at how the conferences have been doing so far and any winners and losers? Well, I mean, the first Australia, loser John that Cougar clearly Mellencamp. stands out, the uh, – yeah, the Pac-12 is clearly a loser. I mean, that was oh yeah, an amazing uh, you know back out. Um, I think this is the first time really in I don't even know how many years it's been where a Power Five conference team did if a Power Five conference didn't have anybody make it to the round of 32. I mean, that's when you think about it, that's just kind of incredible. So wow, and yeah, you know the Big Ten eh, had some flashes early on. It looks like we're struggling now. You know, Sparty going down to Syracuse is distasteful, uh, mostly because it's Syracuse, and Purdue is going to have a hard time with injury. I don't know how deep of a run they're going to be able to make at this point. Michigan sneaks by. Like, they have just seemed to have some luck here in their favor towards the end of the season, so who knows what they can do. So the Big Ten's got some chances. SEC's, you know, winning some games, losing others. Big 12 is kind of playing to chalk. I don't think anyone expects legitimately expected texas and oklahoma to go anywhere but then you've got kansas and tech doing well so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah andy andy katz tweeted out tonight that uh, the big 10 with purdue and michigan both uh proceeding on that this is the 11th straight year the big 10 has had at least two teams make it to the sweet 16 which is the active longest streak of all the power six conferences in, in basketball um so there is some you know, I mean, that's saying something there for the for the Big Ten. Now, granted, this year you can also say Michigan got in there by the skin of its little teeth there last night against Houston. But um, in Purdue, it, it's it's rough losing Haas in the first game. And there was talk that he was even practicing yesterday and, and trying to talk the coach into playing. I'm curious, is there any way that Haas is going to find his way onto the, t- you know, onto the court come Thursday or Friday? I'm not sure when their next game is. But, you know, after a couple of days – is there any way I ha- I have no idea, but I know he was trying to get in into the game uh, today even. But uh, Mac, you've got some more medical experience, uh, you know, broken <laughs> elbows. Is that something you're going to be able to the turn into a quality basketball is, game? Yeah, the alacranon and the alacranon fossa are not quick healers. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so you just can't ice it or get some leaves and put that uh, on I mean, it or anything and call it good. And then Michael Jordan could do it. Get some leaves. Uh, well, true, yeah. But well, one thing that Scott we were Frost right on, <laughs> yeah. Boomer. One of the things that we were right on was Oklahoma, and those guys, they were they were one and out. Texas was one and out. Um, Missouri was one and out. So those are three of the four teams that we we hit on quite a bit last week for being questionable for getting into the tourney. And it wasn't just we weren't saying that with that Nebraska should have replaced them. We were just saying those are three of the teams. One of the other ones I, I questioned, and, and Dave and I had had a little questioning spat about, was Alabama. And to, to his point, Bama went off and, and did win a game. They looked pretty athletic out there, but then they, they got taken care of uh, yesterday pretty bad by, uh, who was it, Villanova, I think, took care of them. So Yeah, and that's um, not really a shame right there, yeah. The, no, no. And, you no. know, that's one of the things that's kind of crazy this year is just it's not teams just losing. They're getting blown out. North Carolina gets blown out today uh, by uh, A&M. When Missouri or Maryland, Baltimore County, when they beat Virginia, they blew them out. When Buffalo beat uh, Arizona, they blew them out. There's just been some huge blowouts. Auburn today just getting destroyed. What was that, a 41-9 run that Clemson had on them? I mean, holy smokes. Yeah, that'll that'll win you a lot of basketball games typically. (laughs) It's it's usually a recipe for success. So, yeah, if we could ever do that, that would be nice. That's an easy post-game uh, discussion for the coach to have. If he can just say, if we could have just taken out that one forty-one to nine run they had, this game would have been completely different. You know, that's that that's always nice when you can do that. But well, 
it's it, it's been a good overall. It's been a good Nebraska ball season. Uh, do you guys have anything else to to contribute, or or is this are we going to put this one to bed? I think it's about all I've got. Uh, you know. Also, again, I'd just like to give a shout out to the women's basketball team for making the tournament and giving it a go. I know they got bounced after one as well, but that was a great turnaround. So it can be done. So let's just keep things going in the right direction. Absolutely, Amy Williams, coach of the year. She did an outstanding job on that that team. Still, it's a pretty young team coming back, so they've got a lot, a lot of good things to look forward to. And Mac, I'm pretty sure you've checked out. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I'm ready to move on, fellas. Surprisingly, righty. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about the that little football program they have over there that started practicing uh, this last week. So, uh, when you come back, that'll be up on the uh, on the redcast. You're listening to the Gold Big Redcast. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. And welcome back. Uh, it's time for Scarlet Colored Glasses, uh, talking about all things Husker football. And it's spring. Spring football. It's upon us, guys. Yes. And uh, oh, it's came last in Friday, like a lion. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> last Friday, uh, Coach Frost, he opened up spring football, uh, held a news conference uh, before that, and then had the practice and had a conference afterwards. And one of the things I thought he talked about that, intrigued me was how they kind of set up the first week of practice and it's a little different having it just on friday but it was a little different it helped set them up to kind of start fast and fast is something we've heard a lot about with coach frost mac what did you think about how what he said about that first week how it was able to get them to be more prepared to start off from scratch and just just go yeah, it was really interesting when they first released that schedule and then they were going to do the one practice before spring break, you know, and I kind of I looked at that, you know, because I thought his whole thing was I didn't want to split up spring break, um, you know, and kind of keeping that continuity and you would think you'd want to keep all those practices for one side. But because of a rule in the NCAA there, if you have practice, say this Friday, like we did, that allows you that's a that's a practice week. So that allows you a week's worth of meetings you get it set up with your guys. So not only do they get that first glimpse of the practice and what it's going to be like uh, before they go off to spring break, which I do, I believe is one of his motives, and I think it's a, it's probably a, a pretty smart move. But the next level coaching for this young staff to kind of be thinking in, in those terms. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna set it up just like this. This will be perfect. You know, we're a new staff. We get a week full of meetings. We get to go through how practice is going to be structured. What's the expectation? They could probably show film. Of like a UCF practice, you know, just to give them ideas on here's how the stations are going to work and just fly through it. Because like you said, Honk, they are all about speed and reps and everybody getting reps. So, you know, just another, you know, just another solid organizational scheduling move by Frost and company. I mean, they... They could be consultants. That's how they, that's what they seem like almost, you know, they're like efficiency consultant coaches. I mean, they are so good at trying to maximize time, you know, and cater Mm -hmm. to a system. That's the one thing that impresses the most about this staff to me is they know who they are and they are building towards it. There is no tinkering with this idea over here. There's no, there's no, well, this year we're going to flex out so-and-so and and we're going to try a hybrid quarterback position. Nope. We know what we're doing. We're refining it. We're recruiting to it. And that's the big thing. And then the thing we still haven't seen yet, at least in a long time in Nebraska, is the developing inside of that program, too. That's the part that's exciting to me. Uh, so, yeah, that just that little move there, just that one practice before spring opened up a whole bunch. And I think I think you could tell by the way uh, Coach Frost was talking after the, after the uh, first practice about how smoothly it went and how – and like – he compared it. He directly compared it himself to the UCF first year first practice and said it went a lot better. Now I think you could you could look into that for a lot of reasons. You know, when they went to mm-hmm. UCF, they didn't have the reputation they have right now. You know, they didn't. They weren't coming off an undefeated season. You know, and these guys were, they were new as coaches. Yeah, they hadn't coached together. Yeah, exactly. Know? So so you can imagine that the reception would be a little bit more lukewarm than than Scott Frost. Not only let's say Scott Frost was just the coach. The 13-year-old coach coming here to coach would, would cause a level of excitement and attention. But the fact that he's homegrown, and that heightens everybody's senses. So, you know, it, we all kind of asked ourselves, or, or the question that we kind of floated around to each other is, what will make this team good next year? What will take them over the top? You know, Because we, we agree, I think, 
to the for the most part that there's talent on this team. Like I don't think Riley's mm-hmm. left the covered bear in terms of talent. So we would agree with that. Now we would also agree that development's been an issue. So the other thing, the kind of X factor in all this was what's the attitude? You know, are these guys lazy? Yep. Are these guys winners? Or have they just never been shown? And what I feel like we're seeing is they just have never been shown. Um, everybody's getting better. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. You know, Coach Frost is already delivering on that part of it. We're going to work hard. We're going to have a ton of fun. And so yep. it's good to see this all kind of coming to, together. It seems like it's moving pretty well. So, um, yeah, I mean, long story longer. That's, that's how I feel about <laughs> that question. Sorry. I'm going to go ahead and take well, you a know, breath. That- well, you know, back to the, the, the press conference that he that he had, and, and this goes to your point there about we're going to get a lot of reps in. As he said, we're going to do 140 reps in a, in a practice. And you're going to do that through stations, number one, because you can't just – not each kid's going to get 140 reps. But as a team, we're going to get 140 reps in there. And those are the things that can help turn you around from a learning the system and get that flipped around quickly. Those things can help. Uh, we talked about how do you quickly get the team from a roster standpoint turned around, and you can do it a couple of ways. You can do it through recruiting, and right now we have 10 new guys on the team that uh, that are practicing in spring that weren't on the team before. We'll have 40-plus guys Impact guys, fall. too, you know, guys that they came in oh, to yeah. make moves. Make moves, and and come uh, come spring or fall time, we'll have 40-plus guys when you count in the walk-ons that will be new under uh, under Frost. And so that's one way to flip the roster. Another way is through that development that you talked about. And Duvall and staff, and I, I wish I could see some of these photos. They took before and after photos of players, and I guess it was pretty pretty telling on how some of the guys have made the right gains or losses. But overall, what was uh, tweeted out here over the weekend is 389 pounds of fat was lost by the team and 436 pounds of muscle was gained. So... I mean, when you think that, about that, that, that too, looks Mark. about like the difference between what the line of scrimmage would move, whether we were on offense or defense, you know, about that much lean mass mm-hmm. is going against our fat mass, you know, and that was the difference Our in the trenches, you know, it's yeah. Well, we're crazy. We want to practice fast and practicing fast is knowing what you're doing and, and not being afraid to make mistakes. And, and coach Ross talked about that, how to treat players. He's not going to be cussing at them and they're not going to be yelling at them about making mistakes. Instead, they want to show them how to do the right thing. That's one way to play fast. And the other way is to be in good shape. And these guys, I'm not saying they weren't in good shape before, but almost to a man, they're saying that they're in the best shape that they've been. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a, that's a great start right there. I don't think it'd even be much of a stretch to say they weren't in very good shape. I don't even know if that'd be considered slanderous. From what you're hearing and seeing, I mean, it's pretty obvious. And I don't want to go down the dark, dark path of last year at all. Yeah, it... But that number that they showed, that's not a good number. You know, that'd be a good number if those were freshmen. It's a bad (laughs) number for the team that that you know should have been competing at a Big Ten level last year. You know what I mean? That that's a that's a terrible number. So <clears throat> that just shows you. But that but that's to our point though, Matt. The development that's the part and the mm-hmm. willingness. The other two X factors, I guess, those two X factors there are what we don't know yet. So you know, of course I'm a Nebraska fan, and of course my expectations are already skyrocketing. I mean, I'm trying so hard to keep them just below back to back national championships, but. That being said, <laughs> I don't think – it will not surprise me if we have a better year than some people think. And when I say some people, I mean people outside the state. I mean everybody in this state is probably unrealistic. But but your but you're, you're ESPN guys, your Paul Feinbaums, they're going to – they're probably going to downplay it. Well, before I break this down, I want to go a little offensive defense – but before I do that, I, I want to bring Boomer back into the discussion a little bit. And we talked about expectations. And Boomer, I guess it's 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 the March expectations. This is early on. But everything that you've been reading and hearing and then your own personal ones, I mean, right now, I think it was um, Athon said we were going to go 8-4. and four. And if you kind of go off of that, I mean, what what are your early expectations right now for this team? And, and what, do you think are, what do you think are too outrageous and what do you think are – too low if someone says ah you know we'll be lucky to make a bowl game but where are you at right now uh personally i'd say i'm just kind of a little more hesitant i suppose 
you know, we've seen, we've heard enough people come in here, various regimes in the past, saying they're going to turn things around and things are heading the right track. Every March is always looking up. You know, even last season, like McGuire was alluding to earlier, uh, the show that all the pieces were in place. You had your quarterback, you had your insane guy from the, you know, you know, fashion catalogs with your sweater vest and your little <laughs> bean stuff, you know, coaching defense and everything was looking great. And, you know, we fell way short of that. Um, you know, I, I don't have any reason to distrust Frost and everybody and everything that they're saying, but I'm not going to jump right in and expect, uh, you know, conference championships or anything like that in year one. It, it's a big cultural shift for a lot of these guys. They have to learn a whole lot of stuff. You know, there's got to be some stomach blocks. It isn't going to be perfect. That's just my, my guess. You know, eight wins, just given what we know about the schedule, that's probably, you know, if we could get eight, I'd be pleased with that. I would say that. Mm -hmm. You know, at nine, ten wins, that's pie in the sky at this point. I, I would be stunned if we were able to pull that off. You know, and if we're back to another five-win season, that would be disappointing. I would say that would be that would be a letdown for me. Anything in that six to eight year one I think would you, I think would be fine. Especially the key is they just have to show improvement that they're looking better. They're not losing games by you know forty, fifty points. They're not getting the line's not getting blown off the ball. You know, just looking lost. You know, team just doesn't quit. You know, things like that. If we can get that out of this year one, and show like we're progressing towards something, players are starting to understand what they're doing. There's an identity on offense and defense which we haven't had in years on both sides of the ball simultaneously, that's that's what I'm hoping for out of year one. I think that's a really good point there, Boomer. And, you know, it's it's funny. I don't know if we need to bring out the candles or anything, but but we're coming up on our own one-year anniversary of the Redcast in April, and we can actually go back in time and listen to our first shows. And, and it was that time a year ago where, you know, optimism reigned supreme at, at this time of the year. Everyone's zero and zero. And, and we had, at a year ago, the Broyles award-winning coach coming back. We had, you know, the quarterback that we needed. And so there was all the reason a year ago to, um, to, to feel confident about certain things. For what – all I can say is this year, it, this has amped up about 100 times <laughs> or 1,000 times from there. And, and rightfully so. I mean, we know not only is, is the – you know the the former player come back and he's the head coach now, but they do have some success to go off of that that we haven't seen before in, in quite a while. I mean, coming off the thirteen and zero season, uh, we're they they definitely have credibility that comes with it. Let's move over to the offensive side and Mac. Um, I guess one of the things that that Frost talked about uh, in in his presser was about some of the injuries, and so looking at the offensive guys, the injuries that we had. Uh, guys that will be out this spring, uh, Decker and Conrad on the O-line, and then Trey Bryant. Uh, all three of those guys technically at some point could practice a little bit, but uh, but we're not expecting you know full reps or anything out of them. But those are the three guys that were listed. But in general, offensively, um, I guess what's the first thing that you kind of want to look at as we get into the practices? What's the first thing you want to be hearing from and, and expectations? Uh, you know, Where are you at there, I guess? You know, not to be boring or anything like that, but obviously, like, the offensive line was one of the weakest points of our team last year. So, um, and I'm just really curious to see what Greg Austin has in mind for those guys. I'd like to see body type will be a big thing for me on them, like how their bodies look uh, compared to, to last year, how they're moving around. Um, that will be that'll be interesting to look and like, what kind of aggression they're playing with. That, all that stuff will be a... A really, really, really good sign. So, yeah, starting off, I'll go with offensive line. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to listen to some of the coaches. Uh, in fact, all the assistant coaches pretty much were getting interviewed. And one of the, the, the favorite ones, I mean, he's going to be a fan favorite, not just an ex-Husker, but a fan favorite in general, Ryan Held. Yeah. And uh, the coach and the running backs, I mean, this guy, he's a ball of energy. He's a blast. Yeah. Go and listen to him. He, he, he's out there on, on YouTube and everything. But uh, he did make the, the one statement. It's obligatory for all football coaches at Nebraska. They have to say it. Uh, the fullback position is probably not going to be around. Yeah. Is, is that, has that tempered your, <laughs> your, your faith in this offense, Mac? Or can you get over that? And, uh, and you know, can we still be a good offense maybe without the traditional fullback? You know, this is, the, this is the eternal dilemma. And I feel like this is the question that some Husker fans have not asked themselves honestly just yet. Because – 
I know that they talk about how they focus on the run and this is the power of running, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a lot of passing on third and short in this offense. Um, there, and, you know, the fullback is not going to be a featured part of it. Um, the good news is, though, we will have the mobile quarterback, so that should soothe some mm-hmm. of that because I feel like that's an important kind of a historical portion of Nebraska football identity is the mobile quarterback. Losing the fullback will be different, but... You know, after just several years of not having any kind of offense, I think uh, I think having an identity and and becoming exciting to watch again will will soothe a lot of that. There will be run the ball guy though. You know, make no mistake, that guy will come mm-hmm. out. But Scott Frost again buy some time with that name alone. And the other thing, Hawk, that you know I, I were talking to, and I don't want to get too far off this if you don't want to, but you know we talked about how at UCF people think that might have been the final version of that team you know they they won 12 games so i mean this is like oh that's the best ucf team ever right well what if frost wasn't quite done i mean obviously he didn't think he'd rebuild him in two years so maybe if he would have had a little more time we would have seen maybe a more emphasis on powerball or different size running backs because you know they had little little guys out there super fast but little you know and it it would be mm-hmm. interesting to see you know he talked about he talked openly about mixing the oregon offense with nebraska power now, they definitely had the Oregon offense down there at UCF. I wouldn't say they were quite to Nebraska power yet, but they've also only had two years to, to develop those guys. So when we finally mm-hmm. see what that might look like, then who knows? Maybe that running attack really does look pretty powerful. And we get that going, yeah. that's something special, dude. That, that's something that can be I, effective I, in the Big Ten. I don't care what time of year. I, I agree completely with that. And I think that is, that's a point that doesn't get talked about right a lot right now is because – they went 13 and 0 last year. Mackenzie Milton beat Oregon or I'm sorry, beat Auburn in the in the Peach Bowl and everything was was lotty-dotty great. And the reality is is that Frost is the first one to say they he didn't think they were going to go 13 and 0. He's made that statement. He thought they'd go 8 or win 8 right. or 9 wins. Totally surprised. They were not a complete product. Like I I almost if it didn't affect the didn't affect us. I'm glad he's here right now, but I almost wish he had another 2 years with UCF just to see where they how far he could have taken that because that's what he that was I don't think he feels like they were that complete product no, that yeah. said he's here now and they've started off faster and they've said that as a staff they've started off on day one just like boom like they were taken off just like if they had stayed at UCF I mean this is just day you know 700 and whatever in a row for those guys together um but I agree I, like the fullback you know the fullback thing look it's it's it it hurts the fans that to not see the fullback, but at the same time, we're a shotgun based team now. Yeah. And fullbacks usually in shotguns are kind of a, a rare breed because you kind of need an eye formation. A lot of times to have a, have a traditional fullback there with the, the hand on the ground. I do think that we will continue to see halfbacks in this offense, the, the, the tight ends that flex out or maybe go into the backfield, yeah. a Ben miles kind of player. There'll be roles for those kind of guys and they'll develop things as the, as the months and the years go on. So I don't think that that's, I don't think that toughness has gone away. And one thing that, that held has also said, and I brought it up on a, on a previous redcast, and I think this is crucial. He's talked about, we didn't go from being one of the last offenses in the country at UCF to the best without physical outside blocking for sure and so for i'm gonna throw this out as a nugget to any of the 80s and 90s husker fans that are like us that 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 are you know we we want that Corey schlesinger we want that lance lewis we want the makovicas we want those guys well i'll tell you what you may not get that but what you're going to get is you're going to get the itty bitty committee of of receivers blocking right you're going to get tough nose dudes cluster johnson's going to be running over a a a secondary guy as you see a guy going for a long run that's what you're going to see in this offense and that's the thing that I think is going to make Husker fans excited is not just the fact that we're going to score some points, but we will be physical. It's just a different type of physical. Yeah, and I think the the whole offense itself will identity-wise be different because the, the interchangeability, it seems, with all the positions, they're all sort of hybrid roles, you know. You know, the wide receivers will come in and line in at, at, at running back and, and vice versa. You know, that's a big part of it. So uh, when they – in, in, in that, in the same with the tackles too. It sounds like they 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 kind of learn all the positions on the line as they go. So that's a big part of what their offense does is keeping that keeping that kind of interchangeable. So you know, it's funny when people talk about like who's going to be starting at running back. I'm telling you right now, unless the guy is a superstar, their tendency is way more committee than than you know. Like I was looking at their stats last year, and you know. 
Adrian Killens had about 120 some odd carries, and then the second leading rusher was McKenzie Milton, and the guy after that was like 60 carries, and then 40 and something like that. And that was kind of the trend for the last two years, so which is great. You know, it gets a lot of guys carries. It gets like guys like Trey Bryant who don't maybe can't be leaned on the whole game, but we can still use him effectively. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we have a guy like Greg Bell, who's th- the important thing. And I think, like you were talking about with Held, he touched on this. We need home run hitters at that position. We need home run pos- hitters in among all those positions. So it'll be interesting to see where we do try to stay power. You know, is that the tight end? Is that maybe the position that they morph a little bit from what they were doing at uh, at UCF? You know, instead of the long, lanky, stretch the field tight end, maybe they get because mm-hmm. what we have right now are the other guys. We got the power. Yeah, guys. we we. We have Big Ten yeah. tight ends right now. We don't have right. UCF tight ends for the most part. So, without a doubt. You, you've mentioned running backs, and Mac, I've always kind of leaned on you for running back info over the years anyway. I like running backs. But the guys that we have right now on the staff at, at running back and, and trying to compare them a little bit to what UCF had or maybe a Royce Freeman at Oregon, kind of how do you – how do you compare? Like, where does a, a Wilbon fall into this, or where? How does a how does Ozigbo look in a in a Frost or an Oregon offense over the last few years? Like, where do these guys that we have right now and throw Bell into yeah. it too, and and heck, even Washington as he gets there, how do they fit? And and how do you compare maybe them to some of the previous? guys? I think if you were looking, I think if you're looking player type, I think they've mentioned this before, but that that Jones. Kid, yeah, that was it. Miles Jones, that we recruited. Yes. He's gonna be. He's yep. gonna be uh, that uh, kind of Otis Anderson type. You know, the guy who plays in and out. He plays wide receiver and he plays running back. Um, so he'll. You know. So we kind of have that body type. I think uh, we won't have a Killian's that super speed killer. But I think Bell's a home run hitter, and Bell's more like to me. And I'm just saying body type and skill set is more like a Royce Freeman. And he might be one of those guys who, who if he could establish himself and stay healthy, may may garner 200-some-odd carries, you know, just depending on how they want to do that. So we've got that guy. Mm-hmm. Trey Bryant is a, is a real wild card. I love the guy when he's healthy. Um, you just don't know. It sounds like that knee thing's chronic, and that just sounds like a terrible recipe for, for really counting on a running back. But using sparingly, you know, he's a guy that could uh, – He's a guy who contribute because he could receive out of the backfield and he can run for power too. Uh, Ozigbo would be like their Legarrette Blunt type guy, mm-hmm. and then um, the, another X Factor guy I think is that Jalen Bradley. Super curious to see how oh, he does Bradley, too. Yeah. I think he's got more top end speed than he's getting credit for, and I think he's a really good blend of. He's smooth, you know, like that's his. That's kind of his style. He's real slippery and. Uh, depending on how good he can catch out of the backfield, and, and maybe that's a known thing, and I just don't know. Um, I think I think he could have a good year too. But the point is, we'll get to see all these guys. I, I think if if they all show mm-hmm. we have to, we should see them all. So the cream. That's the thing about this offense, guys. Is the cream gets to rise because everybody's getting reps at practice. Yeah, if there's 140 reps in practice, then these coaches are seeing these players right. too, and. I think two two guys I'd like to touch on just real quick because they've been here now in the program for quite a while, and it's easy to forget about them. You mentioned uh, uh, quickly uh, Zigbo, but also Wilbon. Just what do you think? Two questions, Mac. Mm-hmm. Wilbon coming into his senior year, this good off season, he hopefully will be in the best shape of his life. He was kind of supposed to be that scat back, third down back, good receiver out of the backfield, elusive guy. Kind of, what do you foresee that his role might be? And second, with a Zigbo, if a Zigbo could have what we would call a good year, and I'm not even throwing out what the stats look like that, but just he has a good successful year, what would that do for us down the road recruiting? Would it change us to where we feel like every year we need to have that style of back, or are we just going to try to get away from maybe the that that bigger back? I don't okay. know. You mentioned Blunt, obviously, yeah. and uh, you know Oregon's had some of the bigger right. backs, Freeman. Yeah. Um. You know, Will Bond, to start off with, I think he's an interesting player because he feels like, seems like one of those players that was always a lot of potential, you know, a lot of flash. And then, but then when you see enough carries of him, he, he kind of struggled. And for whatever reason, the coaches just could not get this guy up to speed on the offense enough to get him on the field. So if this offense is easy enough to learn, he'll be an interesting guy to see how much faster he plays because he's not overthinking mm-hmm. his stuff, you know. And and that and a guy like him, you know, who's a real quick twitch guy, you know, 
a jitterbugs type, you know, that he could be a real big asset in this offense. We'll just see how it goes, you know. So the the running back room mm-hmm. isn't empty, you know, and I think uh, if 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 the coaching staff looked at last year's film to evaluate our running back room, it would be very difficult because of how bad the line play was. You know, it's just so that would be tough. So I think we we could have some some decent running backs in there. You know, going back to Zigbo, and if you know, I guess it would depend on if it would change our recruiting or not. If if it was his power that made the difference, or he just thrived in the scheme because the scheme worked. You know what I mean? So if if it came Mm -hmm. down to like he was making some of his own tough yards and he was making them consistently enough that without that guy, those plays don't happen then, yeah, he probably does change how they recruit that a little bit for the Big Ten. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's shown ability to, for, you know, not being a fast guy, but he's shown some ability to break some 40, 50-yard runs, you know. Uh, he's got good balance. Mm-hmm. You know, Zigbo, and I say this all the time, but when he understands what kind of running back he is, he's really effective. You know, when he... Two cuts tops, and he and he should be moving upfield. You know, don't try to outrun around the corner. And his balance is good. He's you know he's hard to knock off his feet. Another guy. The, everybody's got so much potential in this offense to get better. Um, you know that it, it like we said, it's a matter of effort and aptitude and willingness. So it'll it'll rise. Yeah. Well, it it should not come to any shock that the Redcast is talking about running the ball first. <laughs> And Frost even made that same reference that, you know, we're still going to be a run-the-ball-first team. But to your point there, Mac, it could, the, you know, run-pass ratios and all that might not might not always, you know, look great on the run side or it could be 50-50, whatever. But the point is uh, we're still, we're always going to focus on the run first, but there's also a throwing element, a passing element to this offense. A tweet that we sent out today talked about how uh, Mackenzie Milton last last year was number one in the country with 1,812 deep passing yards. Now, the tweet that was sent out didn't get into to specifics of what a deep pass is considered. So I don't know Probably if it's 20, 20 or 30 yards, but but uh, but 1,812 yards. So there's definitely the possibility that we're going to get the ball downfield. It's not just a dink and dunk passing offense. On top of that, uh, when we're talking about throwing the ball, um, that you know um, uh, the staff has been very – uh, pleased so far with Morgan, and they've they've mentioned that Walters has mentioned that the offensive coordinator has mentioned that a couple of times about how Morgan can just thrive in this offense. So, you know, where do you see? I guess that let's transition over to the passing side now. Let's transition to those receivers, the tight ends. You know, how do you see this this evolving there from a from a pass perspective and with the QBs that we have throwing the ball, obviously. Yeah, I think there's there's enough talent in that wide receiver room to. To really do some damage, it'll be interesting to see Morgan this year um, in this offense. You know, he had a little problem with his hands last year, a few games, um, mm-hmm. and a couple times some costly ones. And and the wide receivers in general kind of did that. So I'm kind of curious to see them getting after it this year and what they're going to do. J.D. Spillman, you know, the way he came on at the tail end of the year, that that the guy, the sky's the limit for that guy. And then you know, it, we have the top two returning receivers for yeah. any team in the Big Ten. Yeah. The top two overall yeah. uh, for most yards uh, between the two of those, uh, Spielman and and uh, Morgan, and I mean that's that's a that's a good place to start from, right? Yeah. Well, and Morgan's <laughs> kind of an interesting one because guys like J.D. Spielman I've seen in the Oregon offense quite a few, but guys like like Morgan I haven't. The kind of the bigger, stronger, fast, but not the blazer, but kind of a possession big play guy. Terrell Owens kind of body style, you know, really good after mm-hmm. the catch, and that's something that would be really nice to see is getting some of these guys the ability to run after the catch with this which is what this offense is really good at getting guys in space and a strong guy like Stanley Morgan you know who's a really good stiff arm runner you know he could break a lot of plays this way which would be super exciting the other guys Tyjon Lindsay seems custom built for what this offense does and he's interesting mm-hmm. to me too because um you know we, we kind of wasted his freshman year he was kind of billed as this super fast uh Kind of a almost like a Percy Harvin kind of running or kind of player, and I just thought he kind of looked mm-hmm. s- not slow, but maybe a little overwhelmed at times last year. So uh, there's a lot there's a lot left on the table for that young man to get better. Um, Did you see the photo? Did you see the Twitter photo of McQuitty? Yeah, that one. <laughs> I still feel like I need confirmation on that one. It blew me away. <laughs> it blew me away. So who knows? I you know. Yeah, he looked like the Hulk, man. He. Uh, like you know, Niles so, Paul worked out with him or something. 
Yeah, and you throw McGriff and you throw a, a Williams, the the JUCO right. transfer that's here. I mean, we've got we have bodies that are growing in Woodyard, there. And so I is think he, is Woodyard a, a for sure. He'll be here in the summer as long as everything okay. goes right. Yeah, geez, another guy, um, just a speed to bird. You know, I this is the segment's going a little long, but we haven't talked football uh, for the last couple of shows with all the basketball, so I don't I don't mind that. I want to transition over to defense a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to transition over to defense a little bit, and one of the things that that caught my caught my eye was. Um, Diaco and uh, or Shenander was talking about the three four and was comparing it to to the previous style, and boy this 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 goes close to my heart. I've talked about this a couple times. I've said it's not the three four or the four three or whatever. To me, it was the two gap. Yeah. And I asked the question last yeah. year of Perella when I was at the the coaches clinic about the about that, and what what I've heard here is that the the defenders here they better be prepared to play uh, seventeen to twenty one more possessions. Uh, or be prepared to play 17 to 21 possessions a game. That's an extra one to two games over the course of a season. Yeah. And Shenander was talking about how they traditionally run the one gap out of the 3-4. Yeah. And so very specifically, the one gap is, it's as simple as that. You are responsible for one gap. You're not trying to stand a guy right. up, play both sides. I can recall when Pelini left here, and Pelini, they were a, a two-gap defense under Pelini. Right. When he was leaving, uh, I can remember Charlie McBride being on a radio show talking about that, and he said... You know the two gap. It's not that it, it's not that we didn't want to run it, but we didn't feel we could consistently get players back then to run it. And you think of all the great defensive linemen we've had <laughs> during the years that McBride was here. For him to say that's right, pretty telling. But pro teams, pro teams love it. And when you have Indomitian Sue, you can run a two gap. You can stand a guy up and play both sides right. of the offense alignment and play two gaps. But when you don't have that, the one gap is, is where you start to look more aggressive. And if you start to look at, we've posted this stuff on Twitter before. When you look at some of the defense that UCF had, and I don't care who the opponent is, it just looks more aggressive, right? There's guys they they look like they're attacking through holes. That's what that one gap starts to do. You your one responsibility is get through there, right? And that's how you get five sacks in the first half against Auburn. Don't you think that the Davis twins should just be licking their chops? Oh they're, my they're gosh, perfect one gappers. Davis twins, freedom, getting getting Alex Davis back with his hand on the yeah. ground. Uh, at, at times, too, although I guess he is going to play some outside linebacker. But a guy who will have his hand on the ground is Ben Stiller, yeah. and that dude looks like the whole great right now. Cow, yeah. Mi- you know, Mick Stoltenberg, these guys, they have to love that. And then you throw on top of that, you know, what a DeAndre Thomas and, and Daniels. I mean, there's guys. Yeah. We have depth there. Yeah. You know, they- Well, and that starts – Mac, that starts to transition us into the linebackers, Guy Thomas. Mm-hmm. And we've we've got some players. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, the, that room is depth. loaded. If you can't find some guys to play linebacker out of all them bodies, then I don't know Barrett Rude. I I sent yeah Barrett Rude um, when when he was being interviewed, he talked about the players and oh my gosh, I wish I wrote it all down because I'll forget some of the names. But between you know Dedrick Young right. and I'm just talking inside linebackers, but but you had Young and you had Will Hannes there now, yeah. and you had Avery Roberts and you had Ferguson and. Oh, help me out. I mean, I'm I'm forgetting. There's like four more. And then on the outside, you had Guy Thomas and you had Gifford and you had, uh, you'll have Caleb Tanner when he comes in here as a freshman. You'll have Alex Davis out there. Is that the Quayshawn Alexander? Isn't that what they're talking about here? Quayshawn Alexander's an outside backer. It's, it's insane the number of players that we have. And like I said, I just, I just left out five because I don't have the list right in front of me. Um, there's plenty to work with. And so, um, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see an aggressive, aggressive front seven, um, and uh, and I think we have the players that to really to make that work. So, yeah, yeah it, it, Boomer, <laughs> I want What are you thinking? I've just been watching Xavier just blow a game against Florida State. So you guys are you guys are doing good. So Fantastic. I, yeah. Well, give uh, us an update like then. Is it over? Yeah, it's over. Yeah, Florida State. Furiously rallied and won seventy five to seventy. So, so we have another one seed gone now. Yep, the Sweet Sixteen is looking very Big Twelve and ACC heavy right now at this point. So, wow, yeah. Well, back to the front seven yeah. then. <laughs> well, then you move to the secondary. The secondary too, I think, actually though, is is interesting because that feels like that's got to be pretty. I guess they're all really wide open positions, but I'm kind of curious where that those two. The corners and spe- specifically how those are going to shake out. 
Any predictions early on for who you think is going to be starting the spring game? Oh, you know what? I don't right now. Um, I mean, it, it, you're, at corners, I mean, obviously you're going to have um, you're going to have uh, Lamar Jackson and, and Eric Lee. But I, I've kind of said Williams was my guy, the JUCO transfer. He was okay. the guy that I I just see him somewhere, and I don't even begin to know if it's corner safety, whatever. I just see him somewhere playing a role in there. You think Boodle um, has a chance to be the other end? Absolutely. They. They value speed among, I, you know, so much, you know. It, I just think it's so early right now for us. It's it's just hard to even try yeah, to make. I that, don't even really care. I'm not trying to make a thing about that. But the corner is interesting yeah. to me because, you know, Lamar Jackson's struggles are well documented by about everybody. You know, so he's another. He's a kind of another one of those litmus guys. Like if he plays good, if you see him making plays, then then you know where this team is at. You know, you know how yeah. where the buy-in is. You know what well, the ceiling this? might We've be. We've heard too. enough of the coaches. I think enough of the assistant coaches from from uh, the quarterbacks coach to the DBs coach across all of them. They have said that they aren't watching a lot of film from last year. It's just not worth it to them at this point. And I think that's probably one of the best. things. I too am not and watching so, much. Uh, film a Lamar from last Jackson. Year. <laughs> yeah. So so too like a Lamar Jackson. You you have an you have an an open book here with with your new coach. You can you can do. What you do moving forward is going to be the thing that's going to get you on the field or off the field. It's not about what's happened before, and that's that goes across all the players. So it's a fresh start, and and uh, and, I, and I feel pretty good. They there. all need it. That's I, all I'll, good. I guess the the last thing then, and I appreciate Coach Frost's uh, his honesty on this. But did you guys hear his take on the? Uh, he was asked about the yeah. kicker. Yeah. <laughs> He's a- so, yeah, he's not so so high on that, but that's all right. That's what we got the NASA well, astronaut. What, what did he for. say? He goes, he said like he would. Uh, it was something about like hockey. Like he knew he would probably know something more about a slap shot know, than he would uh, a yeah. slap shot than than how to kick a field goal. And I respect that. And you know what? That's uh, he. The plan is the we'll plan be okay is let's kicking not kick a lot of field goals. That's the plan. There you, you know, go. There I don't want to kick a lot of field goals, and I don't want to punt a whole bunch. You know, so that's those those are those are positions that should offend a coach like Scott Frost. You know, like we want to mm-hmm. score touchdowns and and get first downs, and those are you know. Anyway, yeah, you know, Pickering. Yeah. Let's hope he's good. I don't know. You know, we've been so spoiled in Nebraska with place kicking over the years. I've just always taken it for granted. I mean, even in our darkest hours, we've had good place kickers. It's sad. Yeah. I'm even interested to see. I think his his name's Fromm. He's the kid that's from Omaha that that redshirted this last year. Big tall kid. Gosh, he might have been an Omaha Burke kid even too, which is uh, where Alex Henry was from. Yeah. So, anyways, that's I'd be kind of curious to see if there's a little bit of a competition oh. there. But that will be for another time. So, last but not least, before we hang up on the football talk, is uh, the walk on tryouts. They did have over 50 uh, just current students that showed up a week ago and they so did tryout. <laughs> and I just I saw it through Twitter. I saw one of the kids that was one of the fifty, and he was tweeting out something, and it was like his grandma saying congratulations, and she was so apparently his grandma's on Twitter, but he mentioned that he was one of like five that was pulled out. So I don't know what's going to come out of that, other than the fact that you know what, even if there's five kids, even if there's even if there's two kids, I don't care what it is. If it's, if it's a half a kid, with, I don't care. One half kid. Yeah. <laughs> The point is, I just love the optics of it. We we are we're going to the we're bringing kids in here. We're giving them shots. They're 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 going to work hard. And and I like I said, I mentioned Matt O'Hanlon. I think that was one of the ways he got onto the team. I think I'm going to have to look this up, and someone will probably correct me if I'm wrong. But I think he joined the team through one of those open tryouts. And the point is, my gosh, it's just one more way to to right. connect to the state. And I think Coach Frost and the staff have done just an outstanding Absolutely. job with that. So. Couldn't agree more. So Matt. Mac, do you have anything else with the with the football? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, there. Yeah, we could talk forever, I suppose, about it. You know, things are things are going good. I think uh, can't wait for the spring break to be over so we can get some more practice info. Although you're gonna, I think you can already tell what the uh, what this the stream of information is going to be like. That faucet has been turned to a drip, <laughs> you know, versus Riley's <laughs> open TKO. I mean, it was ridiculous. So but that's all right. Yeah. Who cares? I don't care. Let's win. I don't care what happens in practice yep. at all if we're winning. We're playing bingo. That's, I don't care. 
I think that's that's a great way of saying it. Boomer, uh, do you have anything football-related? If not, let's just get into our parting shots, and, and uh, I guess I'll let you go first. No, I think we're good in that. Uh, I guess the only parting shot I'd have would be uh, Nebraska baseball. Um, yeah, let's stop fooling around and uh, with these piddling teams. You really, I know we've had some uh, tough injuries this year. You really need to start turning the corner. Just got a little bit left in this uh, non-con schedule. We open up with Minnesota here coming up soon. And Big Ten isn't going to be a cakewalk, so let's get something going. You know, uh we didn't do an around the Van, Dor- Van Horn section uh, this or segment this week here, Boomer. But just real quick, can you give a quick update? I know we played what Northwestern State. He's and already we, given his final. Also, we happened last. We did, week? yeah. We yeah we split the series there on uh, with Northwestern State. Uh, the first, you know, one game was canceled, so it was only a two game stand. Yeah, lost the series opener uh, six to two. Just again, questionable. Couldn't generate a lot of runs. You know, the pitching's just not quite there. We just don't have the depth with the injuries we had, so that's been a struggle. We were able to win today 7-6. Uh, to six. So, you know, they won. They you know, basically split the series with them, but, you know, if you add up the the points, you know, we managed nine runs, they managed 12. You know, that's a – so there's some questions going into this uh, – going into the, you know, stretch of the season here, so we'll see what they can do. And we it's lost a, no- a, a game to Northern Colorado, too. They did, yeah. Week, it's just right? kind of been the theme. They'll they'll lose a game, you know, in every series. And there's, there's been some weaknesses, I think, exposed in the team. So, yeah. so and those have some time to correct it, but not a lot. So And those add up as the season goes on. So, I mean, we've got to they get do. that it's stuff correct. It just corrected. makes it harder and harder to, you know, try to claim a NCAA slot. So, yep. Yeah. Yep, very true. All right, Mac, your parting shot? Uh, yeah, I just want to send out a big props to – Danny Woodhead, retiring after 10 years in the NFL, the Husker that never was, kind of the uh, kind of the uh, poster boy for what was all wrong with Husker football back in those days. I mean, we, we let Danny Woodhead go to Shadron, so whatever. It's I'm not trying to be sour grapes. I'm really impressed. 10 years, that's a, that's a heck of a career, and he's kind of doing it on his own terms, so congrats to that yeah. young man who's not that yeah. young anymore. Congratulations, Mr. Woodhead. And uh, my parting shot here is uh, Husker Nation. I got to give you a shout out yet again. Uh, men's basketball, I mentioned earlier, was in the top 20 of attendance uh, in the country, but so was women's basketball. Top 20 in attendance for both men's and women's basketball. So I'd like to make that, that statement that we're a basketball school now, but it's hard to say that because we still have the NCAA record longest uh, sellout streak for both football and volleyball, too. So point is you guys are doing a really good job husker nation you are showing up uh whether it's wins or losses that that we support this program as well as anybody out there and i guess it's just something that uh you know i like to highlight it when we see it like that so so well done uh well i think that's a that's a a red cast for this week uh we definitely good job (laughs) we definitely want to get uh uh, Dave back here. I want to appreciate uh, everything he does here as the as the host, and it's it's a you did good, Matthew. No worries, honky. Hey, everybody, let's give. I my, that's it. my parting shot to our to our big toe, <laughs> Mister Honky. <laughs> Your big toe. Thank you. Well, we'll see you next week on the Go Big Redcast. Bye, guys.